0: Hey, BroadwayCon the podcast listeners, Patrick here. All right, you guys, BroadwayCon 2017 presented by Mischief Management and Playbill is officially less than a month away. Can you believe it? I am so excited. So the first thing I want to tell you is that there's still a little time to register for BroadwayCon workshops. If you haven't seen the list of workshops, you must check it out. There are song interpretation classes with Anthony Rapp, Jen Colella, and Rebecca Luker hip-hop classes with John Rua, acting with intent with Mark Kudish, and this is naming just a few. The deadline to register is January 6th, and you can find all the information at broadwaycon.com slash workshops. Also, this week we announced our Hamilton panel, called Hamilton, The New Administration, which will feature actors from both the New York and Chicago companies, including Javier Munoz, Mandy Gonzalez, Brandon Victor Dixon, and Taryn Killam. You guys, there's also going to be a reunion of the original Annie cast and creatives to be moderated by one of my favorite people, Jennifer Ashley Tepper. And this, of course, is in addition to the already announced insanely amazing programming. So I have two suggestions. Number one, head over to BroadwayCon.com where you can buy tickets and peruse the schedule. And number two, download the official BroadwayCon app in the App Store or Google Play to get up-to-the-minute news and information about what's going on at BroadwayCon. If you're going to be at the convention, the app is an absolute must-have. Oh my goodness, you guys, I'm so excited! Okay, now to the show. I know a place where you belong. Come follow me and join the song. Welcome to BroadwayCon! The podcast. The show for the theater kid in all of us. I'm your host, Patrick Hines. You guys, I'm so excited that today I get to share with you this great conversation I had with my friend Louis Peitzman. Louis is a senior entertainment editor at BuzzFeed, where he basically tricked them into letting him write about Broadway. He writes about TV and film as well, but his features about New York theater are so interesting and in-depth and insightful that I just had to get him on the podcast to talk about it. So let's not waste any time. Here we go. Um, hi, Louis Peitzman. Hi. I love you. I love you, too. I'm so glad that we're friends. Same. Welcome to BroadwayCon, the podcast. Oh, my God. Thank you for having me. Do you know that you and I officially met at BroadwayCon last year? Of course I know that. I was Do you there. <laughs> I was, yes. Do you remember? We, like, yes. officially met there. Yeah, we did. And became fast friends. We did. Well, I'm so glad we're talking to you about stuff. So I love stuff, so... Yeah bring it on. It's pretty specific. Um so I want to talk to you about sort of the art of reporting on theater which you do, okay? For a major news organization called BuzzFeed. Called BuzzFeed, yes. First of all, how did you get the job at BuzzFeed? At BuzzFeed, well, it's been like 4 years, so I started off um I was And you're young. Like you're you have a big job for that like a young. young man. No. You're like by
1: BuzzFeed standards, I'm, like,
0: ancient. <laughs> That's what Andrew Keenan-Bolger said about Newsies. Yeah, exactly. Like, he was, like, like, 25 and was, like, the Grandpa Newsie. Right,
1: exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, I work alongside, like, a bunch of fetuses. But I, um, no, I, I was freelancing and uh, looking for, like, a steady gig. And BuzzFeed was the first, like, regular job that I had. I mean, it was the, the first real salary job that I had. So oh, I Was just, it a hard job to get? Um, you know, I don't know. I was so qualified. It's hard to say, but, um, <laughs> no, I, I really, I honestly don't know. It was, it was very small when I started and I was one of the first hires in the LA office. So, um, uh-huh. yeah, cause it was just opening up an LA bureau. Uh, and I had found out about that and I applied right when I found out that they were opening the, uh, the LA office. And so I started off doing like, it was like vaguely entertainment stuff, but it was just like lists and, and that sort of thing, uh, without much like guidelines as to what I would be doing. And then I transitioned in, into doing like more entertainment reporting uh, over the years. But when I started, it was just like you know, fun pictures and stuff.
0: <laughs> well, you have managed to like trick them into letting you write a lot about theater, and like that's really a good way of putting it. Pieces. Yeah, no, I,
1: I tricked them into it because we don't have a theater department, and there's no there's no theater section. So I'm just a. a Why do you think that is? Well, there's not a ton of interest. Um, I mean, theater is pretty specific, and you have to be in New York pretty much. Yeah. Uh I mean you can write about theater from wherever, but like the, the theater that really that people are talking about that like is the most mainstream is obviously on Broadway. And so, you know, it's it's very uh inaccessible to a large portion of the country. And even people who live here who can't afford going. Mm-hmm. Um mm-hmm. you know, so it's not It's not as mainstream as, like, TV
0: and film, obviously. Yeah. Uh, So there's just never been that much of a need for, like, a full-blown theater department. So, but they let you, you pitch them ideas and and they just sort of let you go for it? Yeah, I just have an an editor, you know, and I pitch everything through her. And I write about film and TV also, but, you know, I moved here to focus on theater specifically because I wanted to really just, like, dive into that. Well, let's dive in. Let's. So one of the so I love you so much, and I love your list. I mostly I'm su- I'm a total theater nerd, and I see all the theater, and I don't watch much of the movies. But I will always read your lists about horror movies, which are always amazing. We're not going to talk about it. Great, but, I don't want to, except for the fact that um, Nightmare on Elm Street Two was super gay. Is that the one? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Super gay. Yeah. That's why I did a big story on that. Yeah. Oh, right. That's right. It was on your list, and then you did a big like a full. I've written though. like a ton about that movie over the years, but I did like a big in depth piece about that movie in particular. Well, the 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 One big in-depth piece that you wrote that I was reading today, which I had read before but I needed to brush up on, was about why Broadway isn't better for Asian-American actors. Where did the idea for this piece come from?
1: So, you know, last year we were talking a lot about diversity. I mean, it's a constant topic, but it was something that came up a lot last year. And and, uh, in theater, it seemed like theater was kind of being pushed as, like, the counterpoint to, like, film and TV because theater was, like, getting it right, you know? And it was the year of Hamilton. It was the year of, like, you know it was going to be a year where all the people who won Tonys were black actors. I mean, it was just like, you know, diversity solved was kind of like this statement that was put forth. And to be fair, like, people like Lin-Manuel were were never saying that exactly. You know, they were always saying there's more work to be done. But it it did seem like theater was written about very much from a place of like, uh, theater is diverse. Um, And it is in a lot of ways. Uh, But I wanted to look at like areas where it was kind of people were being left behind basically. And so I looked at kind of doing a big sweeping piece on that. And it was like, you know, there's no way to write about, you know, you can write a book about that. So I was like, I need to focus on something. And so um, I chose Asian American representation because that was an area that was, you know, um, often overlooked. And uh, it was also the year of allegiance. And so I was like, this is a good time to talk about this. And King and I was closing. It just felt like the right moment to kind of, uh, to write about that. I mean, King and I was closing as I was as I was writing it or starting out, it, it took a while for the piece to actually get up. So by the yeah. time it did, it got up. King and I was was closed, but um, when I was writing it, it was like
0: I had a closing date. One of the one of the pieces that is so interestingly like made in your in your piece is that the fallbacks for Asian American actors have been Miss Saigon and The King and I. Right. And can you talk about what was problematic with that? Well, lots. Of, I mean, first of all, the fact that there are only kind of like two like shows that get
1: revived enough that they're like the regular ones that go and Miss Saigon doesn't really get revived that much it's just that it's always around Mm -hmm. uh but King and I gets revived you know every what 10 years and so it was like that's a show that people kind of flock to so one of the issues is that like there's just there are only those two shows you know you have your flower drum song and and Pacific Overtures but those are not you know regularly revived shows um but the bigger issue is that they kind of those shows fall to stereotypes and um I guess the biggest problem is that they often cast white actors in the Asian roles. So that was something that kind of looked at, like, breaking it down into, like, the stereotypes and also the yellow face of it all because, um, you know, Miss Saigon has a very ugly history of that. And uh, King and I, this most recent revival was the first time they actually cast, uh, it was all Asian Americans as opposed to the last revival, which had white people playing um, people
0: in Siam. As it was known then, doesn't it seem now? It's funny. We I had I did an interview with Jose Lana where he was talking about how like there's just no question that for the last Broadway revival and then the tour, which he's now has started both. Right. Th- there was no question that there would be an Asian American actor in 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 especially in the role of the king, but like right. in all of the roles because it just would have been too messy for them to not do that. It it seems so strange to me. It, like one of the pe- one of the one of the points that is made in your piece is that like we just kind like you just said it a minute ago that like the whitewashing of the yellow face and how that just seemed right. normal like another thing i mean that- yeah
1: and, and to be fair like to many people it did not seem normal but it it was like a like a, a thing that people kind of let happen um long past blackface was allowed on stage right. you saw a lot of yellow face and it's but that, that's still happening now i mean that's still the mikado ha- like every year there's a mikado that gets you know called out for being all white or for you know having a bunch of white actors um either in yellow face or just like playing these roles without makeup, but, I mean, the, the point is they're still taking away the roles from Asian-American actors.
0: And to be clear, when you say yellow face, you legitimately mean they put on, like, Well, bronzer. it Well, can, it, can, it, can it can mean both ways, but uh,
1: uh, in terms of, like, the Mikado, it's often done with full-on makeup, and, and in Miss Saigon it was done with makeup. But, yeah, I mean, it can also just mean white actors um, playing these roles and either doing a voice or,
0: or just dressed up as these characters or, or what have you. One of the things that um, you addressed in the piece too uh, you, you interviewed the like amazing Aaron Quill like the great blogger who I just love an actress um, and sh- you and I've seen this on Facebook I've seen I've seen posts not related to your piece about Christmas Eve being you know Avenue Q is a show that's done a lot like, right regionally and not professionally like in high schools and stuff and the whole idea of like casting a non Asian woman to play that role and then to sing the song that she sings. Right. I mean what what, what, can you talk a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's one of those things that happens. I mean, I think that you have these shows that have regional productions and and the excuse is always that they don't have enough actors of color to play these roles. The answer, of course, is, like, don't do the show if you can't get the right person <laughs> right. to do it because it's just not, it's never going to be okay to have a white woman do that, you know, in the same way that you wouldn't do the color purple in, in a place where you only had white actors. Like, right. it just doesn't make sense. What is Christmas Eve's big song? Uh, well, she has The More You Rub Someone. Right, rub, actually spelled R-U-V. Right, uh, which but also, just, think, you know, also has a part in everyone's a little bit racist. That you know, yeah. I, you basically can't do it with a white actor. <laughs> right. It's like
0: walking that line as it is, so you really have to kind of be careful with that. How was you the reception as a white reporter to you while you were trying to report the piece? Were people like super open to talk to you about it, or were they yeah. very much like get this right, Pitesman? No, I think that like that was my own
1: thing. Was like get this right. You know, like I felt a lot of responsibility, and I think that anyone you know, as a, as a white person, like, if I'm writing about issues um, facing people of color, like, I have to be extra sensitive, and, and also, it was important to me to kind of make sure those voices of the, the people that I interviewed were, were front and center, so I didn't want it to be, like, my piece, you know, it yeah. was, like, um, I was facilitating it, and I was, like, doing the reporting, and I was gathering these people to talk about it, but I wanted to make sure that their voices were um, what you're really hearing in the story, because it's not my place to talk about what they're going through, you know, and so, like, that was a big thing for me, but everyone was really uh, gracious with their time and, and super open. Um, no one was like, "Why are you the one writing this?" Um, because I think that that you know it was clear that I I went into it with good intentions, but also because like I said, I, I made it clear to everyone I talked to that I wanted their voices in the piece. You know, I yeah. wanted them
0: to come forward. How did you decide who you were going to talk to? So the people that I can remember you talking to were like Daniel Day Kim um telly leung um aaron quill who else did you talk to uh, john victor corpus uh, david henry wong mm-hmm.
1: um i'm now i'm blanking because i haven't seen the story in a while <laughs> i should have you you just reread it i haven't i haven't reread it in uh, like a month or so but um yeah it was a lot of people uh and it was you know a mix of just kind of people that i thought would be good to talk to people that were um brought to me People that have been vocal about these issues, and then you know, I did a bunch of King and I people, um, Ruthie and Miles, also, Mm -hmm. um, because they were you know doing a show right then. It felt it felt relevant. I didn't so much go to people, you know, I didn't I didn't reach out to Leah Salonga because I felt like she had talked about this a lot, Um, and uh, like Ann Harada, right? I had I didn't talk to Ann Harada. You know, there are people that I could have talked to, and definitely if I had um, a million more hours, I would have. (laughs) It already took me like you know a few months to put together. Um, but there are so many people who I wish that I had gotten a chance to talk to. Um, and I think that it was really a matter of just like figuring out who fit best in the piece. And there are people that I talked to who didn't end up in the piece. Uh Uh-huh. Was it well received? Did did people, did it get a Yeah, yeah. No, it it definitely was. And and that's really gratifying. And I, I think that, um, you know, when you write about people, like usually, generally speaking, when you write about someone, you know, you want them to like it, but it's like not really the goal because... You're right. You're not writing for your subjects, but in this case, because it was like about like you know amplifying these voices and kind of giving these people a venue to speak, like it was really important to me that they liked the piece. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, I got a lot of
0: good feedback, and that that meant a lot. And was it a popular piece to people who like who aren't really like theater people? Did they read it?
1: Yeah, you know, I mean, like it's like it's theater, so it's never going to be like a yeah. a huge viral piece. And that's something that I've realized. You know, unless you're writing about Hamilton, and there's definitely Hamilton in there. But, um, (laughs) you know, it's just, it's not going to have the same sort of, like, crossover success. And, but at the same time, I think it reached people, um, and it definitely reached people in the community, in the Asian American community, who maybe weren't, like, theater people. Yeah. Oh, um, yeah. Who just care about representation in terms of, like, film and TV. And so this was, like, an area they maybe hadn't considered as much. Um, But I think any, I tried to write it in a way that anyone who cares about diversity at all would be interested, and anyone who cares about theater at all would would be interested. So... You know, I'm always looking for ways to kind of like broaden the appeal, with the knowledge that I'm writing about very
0: specific topics. Yeah, um, are you gonna drink the diet Coke that I just walked a mile to get you? Yeah, I am. Okay, I'm just, just like wondering, like if you're gonna open it now or just like it's, after. It's, I already had. I had a sip. Oh, okay. Just checking. Just no, checking. No, I in. had a sip. I wanted to make sure that I really got the sound of it opening on the <laughs> microphone. Um, I want to talk about falsettos and why now is the right time for falsettos. You wrote a great piece about sort of the history of the show and about why now is the right time for the revival. Right. Were you – so as a young man, were you familiar with the original – like how much did you know about the show? Well, as a 14-year-old man, I just um, – <laughs> no, I studied falsettos in college. I took a
1: class uh, in college where we read it. Um, or maybe we read – I forget if we read it or we read – we. We read a lot, but I remember that I I did something on falsettos. I wrote my like my final paper on it.
0: Oh wow! Um,
1: and so like I was really into it like conceptually, but I'd never seen it. Can you give the people a little history of the show? A little history. I mean, if you had to put it together in like a paragraph, in a paragraph. Okay, so falsettos, um, basically. Oh, God, I don't even know where to begin. There was this <laughs> musical in Trousers. There was a one act musical that William Finn wrote that was sort of the semi autobiographical musical about sort of a man like coming to terms with his sexuality and, and figuring that out. Like in the 70s. Right. And then, uh, and that was in the late 70s at Playwrights. And then, um, after that, there was, um, March of the Falsettos, which he collaborated with James Lapine on, also at Playwrights. That was in 81, I believe. And then, uh, it ended up being this trilogy because they followed it up in '89, um, in I want to say, uh, with Falsetto Land, and then in the early '90s they combined March and Falsetto Land into Falsettos, and so March was sort of about um, March of the Falsettos. March with Falsettos, yeah, was 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 kind of about just like gay identity and his relationship with. Um, his boyfriend wizard and, and Falsetto Land was what they wrote to kind of answer the question of, like, what happens next. And the 80s, of course, had the AIDS crisis, and so it was a play that sort of addressed that, although it takes place in the early 80s, so they don't really know what they're dealing with. But it was, like, looking kind of toward that dark future yeah. uh, for
0: gay men. What's so interesting, I, I, I realized this reading your piece, before, and I had just seen the show, and I don't – my husband loves falsettos. I don't know it that well, but I realized in the show, Wizard dies and doesn't know what he's dying of. Right. Is yeah, that yeah. right? Yeah. though no, they have no idea. That's unbelievable. I right. didn't get that in the show. Right. But it's, I mean, and that's a real thing that happened. Yeah. They didn't have a name for it back then. Yeah. I mean, it was
1: like, you know, they had, they had gay cancer or, uh, grid. grid. Yeah. yeah. But they didn't have, AIDS wasn't identified until what, like 82? Yeah. Um, uh, and, Mart or sorry, Falsetto Land uh, and Falsettos takes place in eighty one. So, what do you think thematically about the show makes it so relevant to today? Gosh, um, well, I mean, everything changed. You know, I wrote that, I wrote that piece pre election, so like now yeah. everything's a little bit darker. Um, but I think it was just kind of the idea of like um, what came through a lot in talking to people was like that this is a show about chosen family and and about like making your own family and this radical notion that you could kind of like leave your wife and take up with a man and like still maintain a family. You know, he, Marvin at the center of the show, like wants to have the same family he always had. I mean, a different version of that, but he wants to have the same closeness. And, you know, we obviously live in a world where you can, you can do that. You can be married to a man. I mean, you, you literally are. Um, <laughs> Hi, Steve. I'm I'm not, but theoretically can be. and, and, And this idea, yeah, you know that you and you can adopt a child, and or you can have a child other way. Like you can, you can have a family basically any way you want to have a family. Mm -hmm. And that was a radical notion back then, but now it's very much of the times. And I think that um, also we live in times where like those 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 new norms are being challenged again. And so we kind of like look to these to the past to see what they were dealing with and sort of how they went against the the uh, standards of the
0: time and kind of created their own their own normal and their own family. Do you think that there are, like, I when I went to see the show, it was like, I remember the one thing when I, I got to meet James Lapine, we've talked about this yeah. privately, and it was completely terrifying and intense and just completely nuts. I was in his living room. It was crazy. He's growing. a very intimidating person. Yeah. I mean, and he's, he's like, a nice man. Totally because, like, nice and yeah. like not scary but like terrifying. But like a little scary. But kind of scary. Because he's James Lapine. I've told you my Betsy Wolf story, right? No. It's my favorite story where Betsy, who knew him, she'd already worked with him, she went in, Maybe I shouldn't tell the story. I don't know. She went into an, an audition for him. She told it on my podcast. Yeah, fine. It's fine. I can it's tell fine. it. And she said that he, she, like, the piano started to play and she started to sing. And he put his hand up as if, like, to tell everybody to stop. And he goes, I hate this song. Continue. <laughs>
1: Yeah, no, that sounds about (laughs) right. I mean, between him and, like, and Bill Finn, I don't know how anyone, like, got through that audition process. I mean, they're they're both really intimidating men who also know exactly what they want and aren't afraid to tell you that.
0: Well, and it's also, like, their work, you know? Like, it's the thing that they created. And it's also, you know, I think that, like, something that's surprising to me is how little work there is in the theater that came out of that time. Right. You know, there's a few lesser known plays, but then, of course, there's, like, um... Uh, all I can think of is next to normal the normal heart right? you know and like angels in America and right. falsettos there's not a lot of work that came out of that time so I think those that have like really survived right. I think there is a really intense didn't want to get it right especially because it was created by people who lived through it right well it's hard to write about you know a crisis when, when you're in it I yeah. mean there's massive
1: devastation I mean normal heart was written as you know these things were happening. It was written, you know, as by a way
0: it. to get the word. It was a pot. It was like the podcast of its time, right?
1: And it was also like a very angry Larry Kramer, reckon, like you know, dealing with how he felt about the gay man's health cl- cl- clinic crisis, crisis, crisis. crisis. Yeah. Uh, uh, and and can you edit it so I sound better? Thank you so much. <laughs> but like, leave that in and be asking for you to edit it. Thank I'm you. gonna
0: like make you stumble like for thir- thirty more seconds. No, no, no.
1: I'm good. I'm good. No, but I mean, like, it was you know that was a very political thing. But I, I think that yeah, there people were trying to kind of like, uh, process what they were going through, through art, but also like dealing with like incredible devastation all around them and, and people all over the community were dying. I mean, the theater community was hit so hard by AIDS right? that, yeah. um, you know, if you look at this, the people who were working, who, you know, died in the eighties and early nineties, I mean, it's, it's, it's crazy the amount of loss. And so like, how do you sort of like deal with that when you're still in it? Right. Yeah.
0: Um, do you have Hanson? Dear Evan Hansen. So the, another piece that you wrote was a piece about like just how Dear Evan Hansen is making everybody sob all the time. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That wasn't like originally like the focus. It just was like you know <laughs> it does make me cry a lot. So but so does everything. Yeah. Me too. But Dear, I had this great experience the first time I saw Dear Evan Hansen off Broadway was during previews and I was sitting directly behind Michael Greif and sharing an armrest with Alex Lacamoire. Uh huh. And it was you know Alex Lacamoire is like taking notes. Of course he has absolutely no idea who I am. I am like heave sobbing, trying to like look away from him. But we like all were, you know, it's like, Yeah, that's... of course. Well he wasn't. And I was like, wow, Lackamore's made of wood. And then finally he like in like the last twenty minutes, like puts his pencil down and he starts like wiping away tears. And I'm like, we all feel Lackamore. Um even even he does. What was your experience of seeing the show? I was really like taken aback by the sniffles. Like Yeah. I mean,
1: not my personal sniffles. I'm used to that, but like it was, it was a show that I, like, and this was before I saw Falsettos, which is, like, similar, but when you see a show and, like, everyone's crying, it's, like, a very interesting experience. Like, you realize, like, it speaks to the collective power of theater, but also, like, yeah. like this is so, like, beautiful and breathtaking and moving and, like, we're all feeling it, you know? And so, like, and I think that, that Pasek and Paul, you know, was, the pieces about Pasek and Paul in particular, they're so good at doing that with their music, and so I wanted to kind of, like, ask them about that and sort of get at, like, what, why are they so good at making people so emotional? And they said that that's, like, not what they were trying to do. Well, I think that they said it's sort of an unintentional side effect, because they try to get to, like, the emotional truths of situations and sort of, like, you know, how people really are. And that a side effect of that is that there's a lot of crying involved. <laughs> which is, like, which, sure, you know, yeah. it's
0: very true. I- I was interviewing Michael Park, and we were. I was talking to him about, you know, without giving anything away. God, your your little summary of what the show was about was so perfect because I don't know how you did that, but you were able to like summarize the show in a paragraph without giving anything away. It was beautiful, and I, so I was talking to Michael Park about like that pivotal moment, you know, in Act Two, right? And um, and the, but, the meteor hits. Yeah, right, right. It's like right when the meteor, like right. the Sharknado, is like right, yeah, like it's about to happen, yeah. But like um, Ben Platt, I mean, I was like, God, he was just crying so hard, and he was like, No, 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 there's like, there's liquid coming out of every orifice. Yeah. And I remember seeing like sitting, I was like in the third row. For I remember some seeing reason. the tears hit the stage. Yeah. And I was like, and, and his I was mouth like, right. And his yeah. Like, yeah. Nose yeah. yeah. Like that kid is in it. Yeah. You know. And I don't know how you give that kind of emotional performance eight times a week. You. Know? Oh, I mean, or just like doing that twice in one day. I mean,
1: I yeah. saw Ben when I went to see it. I went backstage after and saw Ben like between performances. And he was like, I'm going to have my sushi and take a nap. And I was just like, I don't, I like, that's why I'm not an actor. But like, I can't oh, me, actually no. understand like going through that. And then um, they really give it their all. But he like loses control
0: in a way that I find like so impressive. I want the um, marquee notice, like under the marquee to say, they really give it their all, BuzzFeed.
1: Yeah, I could do I could do a little <laughs> better than that, Patrick. But like, sure. And that's what
0: you want, sure. <laughs> um, uh, what else did I want to ask you about that article? I mean, you know. Well, no, I guess, number one, are people so psyched when, like, BuzzFeed is coming to cover their show? Um, I don't know. I mean,
1: like, publicists have been really nice and generous with me with tickets, like, in terms of, like, letting me come see things, which is great. I think that it's been hard because, one, you know, we're not known to be theater coverage, and, and that's been a n- relatively new thing. I've been doing it for, like, two years now, but it's I, I've only lived in New York fully this past year. Um, and the other thing is that, like, I don't write straight reviews, and so, like, that's something yeah. that I have to explain to people, that I'm not going to, like, write a review of your show uh, I'm not a critic. I mean, I I'm personally a critic, and yeah. like <laughs> I have plenty of opinions. But like, I'm not a critic, and um, I don't write about most of what I see. You know, I see a ton of theater. Yeah, I'm right now. I'm working on my best theater of the year, which is I like was, a, I thought that was already out. But I guess no. Not. Yeah, no, no. That um, that my best horror of the year. I do like every December, and so like that. Well, last year was the first year I did theater, so this will be my second time. But I um, you know, that's when I kind of capture all the shows I missed. And then around Tony nominations, or once they're announced, I do like the best performances
0: of that season uh-huh. to kind of like capture anyone who was left out by the Tonys. Can you, without giving away anything in your article, just tell me like the three favorite performances you've seen this year? This year? Yeah. Like this season. This season. Oh, God. Yeah. So not counting stuff that like has already won Tony awards from 2015, I guess, was when they opened. So like, right. the, the new stuff. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. Post Hamilton. Yeah, the... Um. Well, I you didn't tell me there was gonna be prep work. I know. I know. I'm catching
1: you off guard, girl. You know. Um. It's like Ben Platt's the obvious one, so I'm gonna say Rachel Bay Jones because. Dear Evan Hansen, Yeah. Devin Hansen, Yeah. I mean, she, she sings a song that like I think is actually what people like. Ben's it's song un- is what it makes people like emotional, but like her song is what makes people like lose control. Yeah. Um. And she's so good, and she's yeah. so like natural, and and it works well with those like lyrics that are so like grounded in re- reality and humanity. Like she does that so well.
0: Um, what else have I seen in like to help me out here Uh, well the one thing I want to point out is I really love Margot Seibert and I think that her work in In Transit is really good she's great in everything yeah Yeah. her voice is incredible I saw
1: her do a reading of the first Wives Club
0: uh, wow of of like the script uh huh uh, you know, it's great to see her, every- and I love her in Rocky. She's great in everything. I mean, she just that voice is just like what was that Tamar of the River? Did you like? There's a cast album of this Off Broadway show she did called Tamar of the River, I and it's not crazy. But it. she's oh my god, she sounds incredible. I um, think what else I saw this. Th- me too. What else is out? What else? I'm is, like literally coming up with my like list of theater right now. But you know what I haven't seen, but I hear I can't wait to see
1: is Great Comet. I like her comet a lot. Yeah. yeah. Um. And, uh, you know, I think Josh Groban, Josh Groban is really good and you kind of forget how good he is. Like his voice is just so incredible Yeah. that like you, like it's, it like melts in your ears. It's like, it's like <laughs> yeah. overwhelming. Um, like he's up there, you know, like he is, I think someone that we forget about because he's a pop star and like, you know, we know or he's a pop star and he has like an operatic voice and all this stuff, but like seeing him perform like on stage and I sat on stage and like seeing him like up close like that was like really intense. What are you excited about? Oh my, everything. Are you kidding? Like, <laughs> Tell everything. Me. Uh Hello Dolly. Oh yeah. Um, Smart. War Paint. Oh yeah. Uh, um, Significant Other. i said. Yeah. To be on Broadway.
0: I think it's going to be so great to see Lindsay Mendez in a play. Yes. I've never seen her in a play. Well I saw her off Broadway in that. Oh you did. Yeah. And she she was, must she be incredible. She was right? great. And It's going to be play. her Tony nomination. Yeah. yeah. Well let's let, let's hope. I, I always just say to their faces and I love to watch their faces crumble. Because they, they can't like, handle yeah, it, yeah. It's the funniest. Um. I'm excited about Anastasia, you know? Yeah, I, totally. I am. And ex- I
1: was. I want to see, I'm excited about seeing um, Miss Saigon. After all, I've written about it to actually see it. Um, I might be doing something with uh Ido Blazada, the star of Miss Saigon and kind of, you know, I want to, I want to, you know, follow up on what I've been writing about that show because I think that they, you know, they're, they've tried to kind of modernize it in a lot of ways and yeah. I want to like, Talk about that.
0: Well, you know, just to get back to that really quickly, you, one of the things that was really shocking to me that I read in your piece was the Frank Rich quote, where he was calling, he was saying. So the controversy was that they were they were trying to stop, they were trying to not cast Jonathan Price in the American production, right? And there, the producer's argument was there is no, there's no like Asian star, right? Like middle aged male Asian star, so we they have would, to. They, have they would him. need to sell the show, right? And so, and when when it sort of was leaked to the press and the press got involved, Frank Rich, the great reviewer of the New York Times, who apparently Apparently, in another one of your pieces, like saved falsettos for the ages, like right. by coming in and writing a great review after it had been given a bad review. But he said he he like gave the reverse racism argument, right. saying that it's ridiculous to not have to to have anything bad to say about Jonathan Price. It's reverse racism, right? Well,
1: the idea being that like it's not fair to white people because then they or some like. If you want to be able to have actors of color play white roles, then if you don't have the other way around, it's reverse racism. And
0: how ludicrous is that argument? It's crazy.
1: But the thing about things like that, you know, that's come up this year. Absolutely. And you just kind of, I think with things like that, you just kind of put that in there and put that out there and let people figure it out for themselves, you know, Mm -hmm. um, and i put that quote in there for a reason and i want people to kind of like read it and sit with it and yeah. think about like this is like this is a, a defense of that you know and if, if if you feel like that's a valid defense then like you should maybe examine some of your beliefs <laughs> yeah exactly and look up some
0: definitions of things um i think that's all i have for you Lewis Pitesman. great i love talking Not to you i thought i wouldn't
1: talk to you for for all day
0: well you're so perfect at this will you come back and do more in the spring season anytime you're the bomb.com do people still say that i don't know i'm too old <laughs> Thanks, boo. Bye. On the outside, always looking in. Will I ever be more than I've
1: always been? Cause I'm tap, tap, tapping on the glass. I'm waving
0: through a window. Oh, I try to speak, but nobody can hear. So I wait around for an answer to appear. While I'm watch, watch, watching people pass. I'm waiting wave- BroadwayCon the podcast is a partnership between BroadwayCon Media and Theater Podcast Productions. Episodes are produced, edited, and mixed by me, Patrick Hines. Just a reminder that tickets for BroadwayCon 2017 are now on sale. You can find information and tickets at BroadwayCon.com. If you just can't wait till next week to get your theater podcast fix, you can check out my other podcasts. One is called Broadway Backstory, a documentary-style podcast that finds out how shows develop from an idea to a full production. The other is called Theater People, where we do fun and fascinating interviews with Tony winners, Broadway legends, and today's brightest theater stars. We'll be back next week. Until then, we ask you to remember this. If you get really pissed and won't we'll cut someone slack When they call the cast album a freaking soundtrack You're a band, you're fantastic, you're part of the crew Broadway
1: cosplay